0: Contentment doesn't mean that we're settling for our circumstances. You know, I'm, I'm just here and this is how it is and I'm, I'm just going to be content in the Lord. It's like, no, we still contend for things. And that's what we must understand if we're going to remain focused and abiding in Him and saturated in Him. So discontentment is an emotion. It's not a state of being. During our conference in January, I had this beautiful moment with the Lord, and it was during worship, and I just found myself so content in that moment and in Him, and I just told Him, I was like, Lord, I'm so content in You, and I don't know if the Lord talks to you the same way He talks to me, but a lot of times when I I feel like when I make these kinds of statements to Him, He likes to kind of poke at them a little bit, maybe see how deeply rooted they are, but immediately he responds to me and he says, are you really? And I was like, yes, Lord, like, I lack nothing. You're providing for everything. Like, I'm so excited about what you're going to do this year in some Watticella. And he doesn't respond, but I feel like if God could smirk, if God does smirk, he was like smirking at me because... I found myself a couple weeks later at our office in Coco with uh sitting with our finance department. And it was about a month before I was heading back to Zambia and I was at the part, part where the budget I had set was about, right about what right about in and I was looking at like the last few visits I had, last few churches to to share, and pack my bags and jumping on that plane and getting back to Zambia, and I made the mistake of um, of asking our finance office to like, can you just you know take a glance at my budget, make sure I'm not missing anything, uh, you know you know before I leave in a month, not really expecting there to be really any changes. And suddenly I found myself with a much larger budget and a much larger fundraising goal and not much time to do it in. And I felt the Lord, I heard the Lord say to me, so are you still content? And I kind of sat back and I was like, am I? Am I still content? And it kind of led me on this on this journey of really looking closely at what is true contentment in the in in the Lord, and what does that mean, and where does that come from, and how do we remain in it? And so today, I just want to share about about what the Lord's revealed to me uh, through contentment. So the world defines contentment as a feeling of deep satisfaction. It's a feeling that is chased and worked for over an entire life. If you look at the American dream, it's entirely built upon it. However, that kind of contentment actually opens up the door for dissatisfaction, bitterness, and envy. But it's probably the first thought when we look at defining contentment, that's probably where we go because that's what we've grown up in, in our Western culture as understanding, you know, when you're single, you're like, I'll be content when I'm married. And then you get married. I'll be content. When I have a child, I'll be content when I have the dream house, when I have the promotion, when I have this amount of money in my bank account, we chase a feeling that lasts for a moment. But we're expecting it to be a permanent part of our lives, and it never is. The richest people in the world are usually the most miserable. In fact, studies have shown that riches actually have no impact on the amount of happiness that is felt in daily experiences. And if you look at the lives of the rich and famous, they're terrible they are full of discontentment and they actually miss out on on the on everything that god wanted for them because they're so busy chasing this dream of wealth and what their idea of of contentment is so while the world defines contentment as a feeling an emotion which is based on external circumstances, the Bible shows us a different definition. If we look at the book of Philippians chapter four, Paul writes and says, not that I speak from want, and we can actually if you look back at the earlier chapters in Philippians we can actually see that he's suffering right now like these prison cells they're they're nothing glorious he is basically being treated like garbage and to teach on the topic of contentment especially when you look at contentment according to the world's definition it's insane like it no one should be able to even think about contentment right now because by the world's definition, he should be the most discontent man in the entire world. However, he's talking about a different type of contentment that the world can never offer. So the word that he uses here, the Greek word, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. Um, is only actually ever used this once. For all the other verses on contentment, there's another word for it, or there's other words for it. But this this time, it's it's a single-use word, and it means being strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support, independent of external circumstances. So now we're looking at contentment as a state of being that it this means it's not a feeling it's not a feeling that the world keeps telling us that we need to chase after it is the state of being of who we are it's not defined by what we have or don't have in the physical it's what we have in Christ and so that gives Paul this this platform to teach from because he is not He's not looking at his contentment based on his circumstances, because if he did, he would fail. But he's looking at contentment in exactly who Christ is in him and who he is in Christ. So if you look at a sponge, a sponge is designed to be saturated, to contain water. So you pour water over a sponge, if you squeeze it, it's emptied and it has to be filled again it has to go look for for that for that saturation again that's the world's definition of contentment but a sponge if you take it and you submerge it under water in like a like a bucket of water no matter if it's squeezed or not i mean you can wring it you can twist it you can do whatever to it as long as it's submerged in that water it is always saturated because it's never less left the source of the contentment. That is God's definition of contentment. That's what Paul's talking about here. It's like, no matter what's happening, no matter what we're going through, what, no matter what ringing and twisting and stuff that our circumstances are doing to us in our lives, our contentment doesn't change because we have not been removed from the source. If you look at John chapter 15, verse five, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. So abide means to remain, to be present and kept continually. That's the sponge submerged in the water. If you hold it down there, you keep it down there. It's never going to separate itself from the water because it's designed to be saturated. So we are designed to abide in Christ. Christ is our source and our contentment is based on the fact that we've been grafted into him. I mean, we're about to go into rainy season here in Zambia and we've got storms coming. And what does a tree do in a storm? Nothing. Nothing. It doesn't worry because it knows its strength. Its strength comes from deep within it and it will not be moved. So it remains in peace, which is a fruit of the spirit. So Paul says, said back in Philippians 4, that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Paul doesn't have to search for the strength of Christ because he's grafted into him. He knows in whom he dwells. He knows who his source is. And so it doesn't matter what circumstances look like. He's saturated. He's not moved. When we understand who God is and who we are in him, then our contentment is constant no matter the circumstances. So we abide in him by keeping our gaze upon him. When we we look at the story of Peter on the storm, during the storm, on the boat, and Jesus is walking on the water. And Jesus calls out, you know, oh, sorry, Peter calls out to Jesus, and Lord, like, just just let me come to you. And, he, and Jesus says, yes, come. And what we, we often focus on Peter's failure, but we forget the fact that he actually walked on the water. Like, Peter actually did it. He did the impossible. Because his gaze was upon Jesus. It was only when he started looking at his circumstances, he took his eyes off of Jesus and focused on the circumstances that he started to sink. So when we keep our our gaze upon the Lord, it doesn't matter what storms come. It doesn't matter how, how hard the wind blows or how big the waves are. It doesn't mean that the circumstances aren't going to be there, but when we keep our gaze upon him, that then we will never fail, that we're never going to be removed from him. So when looking at this idea of contentment, we have to look at then discontentment because we think they go hand in hand. Contentment, it it doesn't mean like when I'm content, it doesn't mean I'm like not believing and trusting the Lord for things. That's not true. Contentment doesn't mean that we're settling for our circumstances. It's like, well, I'm you know, I'm, I'm just here and this is how it is and I'm, I'm just going to be content in the Lord. It's like, no, we still contend for things. We still contend for change. We still contend for for the promises of God and the blessings and that he gives us in our lives. There is a difference, though, between contending and discontentment. And that's what we must understand if we're going to remain focused and abiding in him and saturated in him. So discontentment is an emotion. It's not a state of being. It's a feeling that sets in when we allow it to guide us. And it's often rooted in the comparison trap. I don't know about you, but I've been on the field now for almost 18 years and I fall into the comparison trap a lot. And it's been something that pops up probably at least once a year twice a year. A lot of times I can nip it in the butt really, really fast and, and identify it for what it is and deal with it. Um, sometimes it lasts longer. And last year I was actually really struggling with some discontentment that I had allowed lot allowed to take root in my life. And I didn't realize that it had taken root until all of us, I was, actually like emotionally affected by it. And I I was like, why do I feel this way? And like, I, I finally realized like the Holy spirit shined a light on it. Like, Hey, you've allowed this, this discontentment through, through the comparison um, trap of it wasn't money. It wasn't um, materialistic. It wasn't ministry related. It was life season related. And, The Lord just showed me right in that moment of like, hey, you've allowed this to take root in your life and it's not supposed to. It's not supposed to produce bitterness. And so I just brought it to the Lord and the Lord gave me a vision of exactly what he was doing and it removed all discontentment over that. Over that thing in, in in an instant. And that's the beautiful thing about encounter with the Lord. What therapy can take, you know, 20 years to do one encounter with the Lord can do. And that's exactly what happened. All of that bitterness and discontentment was completely uprooted. But it doesn't mean that I'm not contending for that thing. I'm actually I am contending for it. I'm believing the Lord and I'm trusting Him for it. And it's actually because that discontentment was uprooted that I'm actually in a place of contending for it. Because discontentment comes against any opportunity to contend for something, to have faith for it, an active faith that that requires our action. And that comparison trap. It takes our eyes off of what God is actually doing and wants to do in our lives because we're so busy looking at those around us and we're so busy looking at our own circumstances and having a woe is me mentality that we can't actually see what the Lord wants to do. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 6 through 10. He says that godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I mean, isn't that the type of contentment that the world says? You know, the world says if you have enough money and if you have all these things, all these materialistic stuff, that's what's going to bring contentment. And that's what Paul is clarifying. And he's saying that it does the exact opposite. It will actually make you wander away from the faith if you let it take root in your lives. And so whether it's a comparison trap of finances, a comparison trap of materials, oh, if I just have this kitted out vehicle, if I just have this house and this high speed internet and these things, like my life will be easy and I'll easier and I'll be happier. And it doesn't matter whether you live in America or you live on the missions field, all those things can creep in. But it's because we've taken our gaze off of the Lord. So contending for something, it's a posture. It's a stance. And it doesn't take our focus off of God, but instead it looks to see what God is doing in every circumstance. It finds where he is leading and it enables us to actually move in that direction. Um, The book of Jude verse three says, beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the, to the saints contend earnestly for the faith contend means to struggle, like how an athlete struggles, with all that they have to reach victory. We were just talking a couple, uh, I think it was yesterday with, uh, I think it was some of the AMT students. We were having this conversation about, um, about their last two weeks with AMT. And so we were talking about like when someone's running a race and they see the finish line, they don't start walking. They don't slow down. They keep pushing forward. You actually run your fastest in that last stretch than you did in the beginning. And it's at that point, like you could be the back of the pack and all of a sudden you win the the race because you, you just push that much harder. You, you set your, you lock your eyes on that finish line and you do not give up until you cross it. And so that kind of, of action. It was like what what Jude's talking about is contend earnestly. It's like you're gonna fight for it. You're gonna take action for it. And you're gonna be active. You're not gonna be passive. You're not gonna sit on the couch and win a race. You actually have to push forward. So it's also it's like it's like a stance. So my grandfather, he died when I was very young. And I only have a couple memories of him, but he was uh one of the things that that he had He had done on, as like a side profession. It's like he was a semi professional boxer on the south side of Chicago. And um, by the time I was born, he was already retired from it. But after he had passed, my mom had gotten his boxing gloves. So for my entire childhood, my grandfather's boxing gloves hung um, next to our fireplace. And it's like a clear memory of, of my childhood. Like they always hung there. I saw them every single day. A few times we actually, you know, played with them and, you know, me and my sister would punch each other. Like as kids do, you just test them out. Um, but we, but, but when you look at a boxer when they go into the ring, they don't stand like haphazardly they have a stance that they go into that enables them to to move to dodge to and to strike so there was a famous boxer saying that float like a butterfly sting like a bee like you you keep yourself in a stance that allows you to be active and That's what this this contending is. It is a stance. It is a stance I'm going to place myself in purposefully with my gaze locked on the Lord. And it doesn't matter what circumstances come because I'm going to be ready for him. I'm going to be ready for him so that my eyes, I'm protecting my eyes. I'm protecting myself so that my contentment isn't found in anything else but him. So we have to contend earnestly for this. We have to to put ourselves in a stance that we are going to win. We are going to win this fight. We are going to win this battle, not for our benefit, but for, for the kingdom of God. And so contending can only be done from the state of being content. If you remove yourself from the source of contentment, then that contending instantly will turn into discontentment and it will root bitterness in your life because it takes your eyes off the Lord and puts them back onto your circumstances. So contending and contentment have to go hand in hand. If you're not in that place of contentment, you'll never be in a place of contending. So first, look at that place. Look at what you're what are you believing for in your life? Are you so focused on your circumstances that you actually don't see what God is doing? Or are you so saturated in Him that you're just you're ready to go and you're ready to take on the world? We have to make sure that we're remaining in Him. We have to put Christ first. And we have to make sure that we've made our stance firm on His foundation. So whether you're new to this team, you're years on the field, or you're just tuning in— we will all have multiple opportunities, even sometimes in just a day, to choose to remain in contentment, choosing to contend for what we're trusting God for. Or we have the choice to remove ourselves from the source and allow discontentment to take root. I can promise you if you remain long enough in discontentment, You'll no longer even understand the call of God in your life. You'll no longer even be able to to minister to someone and see eternity in them because you're so distracted by your circumstances. So I want to encourage you. What are are some of these things that you're believing for? Examine them. Is there discontentment? Is there bitterness taking place? Are you playing the comparison game? And don't just examine yourself once. Like, I've purposed in my life to examine myself over and over and over again. Anytime I feel a twinge, every t- anytime I feel like, man, I really want that. Okay, am I contending for it or am I discontent about it? And so we have to be the ones that don't live according to the world's definition of contentment, where they're just chasing that that feeling. Because what they're all really looking for is that content state of being. That content state of being is only able to be achieved in Christ. There's no other way and there's no other substitute. So if you're just struggling in this, I encourage you to bring it to the Lord over and over and over again. Remember, one encounter with the Lord uproots it in just a moment. And you don't have to wait for Revival Week. You don't have to wait for our conference in January. You can have that encounter with Him right now. So let the Lord restore your peace and bring you back to that state of being content in all things.